Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kora. And I'm Kikita Kaori. And we have a podcast today. <laughs> we do. We are going to be looking at A Worthy Opponent by DG Ladderoot, which is the direct sequel to The Careful Gardener. But first, we have a little bit of news. Just a little bit. Uh, Max Brook, who is the lead, who was the lead uh, developer for the fifth edition of the RPG, uh, he no longer is working at FFG. He he popped into the RPG Discord to let everyone know that he has started his his own freelance uh, position and blog where he wants to talk about. Uh, role-playing games and other kinds of games, and he he wanted to advertise that. So he's been a guest a number of times on our show before, and we've always been happy to have him. Uh, so we wanted to go ahead and, and promote that, and we'll have that in our show notes. Yep, so everyone should go and check that out. But while you're doing that, um, because you can you can listen to us while you go check out that website. It's it's perfectly perfectly thing you can, while you're doing that, <laughs> <laughs> or before or after. It's fine. Uh, we're going to move on to A Worthy Opponent by D.G. Ladderoot, which starts mere moments after The Careful Gardener. Literally, like, the door has just shut, uh, and Bayushi Shoju is reflecting on what Ikomi Ujiaki has proposed, which is an alliance between Lion and Scorpion to remove Yoshi as regent. And he ponders this, and he, he thinks about stuff, and go, and his various life choices that have led up to this moment. Soshi Angai arrives, disguised as a servant and cloaked in magic, and tells him that the Yoga Castle has fallen. We don't know who brought the various news and scrolls, but it's possible that this is Yoga Jiro from that set of fiction. She then later breaks him free of his captivity and takes him to the Scorpion Blackwatch compound in the city. There, he decides to use the Black Scroll brought from Yoga Castle. Not just to find out Ujiaki's deepest, most terrible secrets, but literally to become the villain that will unite the Empire before it is too late, which is an interesting choice to make. <laughs> yep. Um, so obviously, well, we've kind of spoiled the story for you already, but we, we always well, have I mean, spoilers in our yeah. podcast. So you know, hopefully you from the title, you'll, you'll know that you're getting spoilers. <laughs> So there are lore nuggets in this story. Um, you know, just to start off with, very simply, there's another reference to Hanakotaba, uh, or the language of flowers, which was used in The Careful Gardener to hint at and uh, offer this uh, alliance between the lion and the scorpion for the purpose of overthrowing uh, Kikita Yoshi as regent and uh, and the crane. So uh, that's kind of what he starts out the story thinking about. So that was in The Careful Gardener. He also thinks about the go set that he has, which is one of the few possessions he's been allowed to keep, largely because it was given to him by the Emperor in Children of the Empire Part 3, which was also by him. And clearly, as mentioned in the text, if, if the Emperor has given you a thing, then even if you're a prisoner accused of high crimes and misdemeanors then you get to keep it because the emperor did it so you know he is working through some go puzzles 
which apparently there are books on these things and you work through them to try and sharpen your go skills although he's looking at a puzzle which white will win in four in six moves but he can't he's stuck on the fifth one (laughs) it's rather interesting Mm -hmm. uh so the first spell that shoshi angai uses uh she convinces the air kami to confuse the senses of the guards. And she says that the air kami will only do it for a short period of time, but then they get bored and give up. And this is something we've seen like elsewhere. Descriptions of the air kamis are very, very fickle and capricious. and They don't want to stay, stay around doing one thing for any long period of time, but they do like playing tricks and, um, Working through disguise, so all the all the disguise and illusion spells are air. This particular spell can only disguise one person, so it's probably the rank two mask of wind spell. Though it does seem like she amped it up a little bit to make it so that they could talk without um, necessarily the the guards uh, noticing. But it's still that. Uh, spell that same spell probably yeah spend her opportunities on that (laughs) absolutely that is exactly what opportunities are for right and i i noticed she helped it with an actual disguise so that's that's kind of good to remember that these illusion spells don't usually incorporate touch so if you are actually disguised as somebody having the actual clothes and so on helps because then you can, you know, make the same sounds and touch over all of them. And and you don't have to sustain it so long or for so many people. See, that's making a disguise roll to lower the target number on the actual invocation. There you go. <laughs> if you want to translate it directly into game mechanics. There's mention also of a Black Watch safe house in the Hojize district in Otsan Uchi. I think we're going to have to cover Otsan Uchi as a separate podcast one of these days because there is a lot there's a lot there but it's it is noted where it is yeah where the, where this safe house is right my hope is to actually have uh do a series of podcasts coming up on different regions and and Odesanuji is like the quintessential city so we can talk about Odesanuji and talk about cities and gaming in cities and that sort of thing so uh Shoji does not think it is too dishonorable uh, to murder the dragon guard without warning. Uh, he's willing to do that. Uh, he's not like a, a paragon of honor or anything. But he does consider it, even for him, too dishonorable to kill him while he is under the influence of the kami. So I thought that that was an interesting note that, you know, for all you sneaky scorpion players out there, that it is worse to assassinate someone while using magic than it is to just assassinate someone, basically. And no doubt everyone there'll be a lot there will be a collective gasp as people see an actual scorpion with a concern for actual honor. Even that amount, you know. <laughs> I always think yeah, that yeah, they yeah, have they some do. They it's, it's, it's boring if they don't. Um but uh they also have you know, he also says when he does it, may MO judge you as, you know, defending the empire. And and I liked that phrase, may MO judge you 
you can use that. Wait, well, I think it's not. I think it's not so much that may Emma O judge you because Emma O is going to judge you. That's that's what he does. But it's specifically may he judge you as the loyal servant to the empire that you were, which I think is a very interesting thing. He's like, I am killing you be- precisely because you are doing exactly what you should be doing, which is, I, yeah, that, that's an interesting kind of place to put yourself. So he's 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 recognizing that aspect, which I think is always cool. We have a second spell, which is using a lantern to control everything seen within the lantern light to be an illusion or invisible, which could be a more powerful version of the Cloak of Night, which is a rank one air spell. Or again, it could be Cloak of Night plus opportunities. Yeah, that or it could be a, a version of the False Realm of the Fox Spirits. Um, yeah, yeah. As, as another one, though that would be complicated to like try and convince your GM to pull that off. <laughs> well, I mean, I will I will admit that I, I found the breakout a little easy. And I kind of I kind of feel that that surely it would be harder to get that kind of prisoner out of that the from the under the nose of the Dragon Clan. But they are the Scorpion, they're good at sneaky stuff, but you kind of wonder why they've it, it just seemed a little easy, but maybe we haven't seen the preparations behind behind the scenes. Well, we have seen a little bit in that, you know, we know that he was warded and another scorpion brought down the wards. And so it's like there's there's been a little bit there anyway. As Shoju leaves, he leaves a clue. Um, he leaves the gold board set up to be one move away from a win by a famed scorpion master. So what he's telling to his inevitable investigators is that he is about to win. He wants them to think he's a mastermind that planned all this all the way. Down. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't quite find the ghost stones to, to spell out all according to Keikaku. Keikaku means plan. But he did the next best thing. Right, right. <laughs> I, although, although I was going on about the... Yeah, the, the use of spells being a perhaps a little bit too easy. It should be noted that the spell was very taxing to the Shugenja, which is not actually a mechanism that's technically built into the game as it stands, but she is drained by maintaining the spell for a period of time. So that that's an interesting aspect which could be brought up. I'm not quite sure whether you put mechanics for it, but something that you might want to yeah, chuck into your roleplay. Yeah, yeah, we've we've seen that before. That uh, just just uh, Shigenja exhausting themselves, and I always kind of wanted a mechanic for that. Anyway, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and and there is mention again, as as you said, lots of stuff about getting through the the wards, and also implication the wards that were originally put up weren't that well constructed, or they were hastily constructed because they didn't actually have a prepared room to put scorpion prisoners in. So maybe that's a, that, that was one of the reasons why it's slightly easier to get through. But there you go. Things to keep in mind. Yep. So uh, once Shoju is alone with the artifacts that have been taken from the Castle of Learning, he pulls out the Black Scroll. Now, as a reminder to our listeners, the Black Scrolls were originally the scrolls that were in Isawa's scroll case when he and the other Thunders, a thousand years ago, went to go fight Fulang. And while the other Thunders fought, Isawa took Fulang's essence and split it up and 
pushed it into each of the scrolls in his scroll case to keep it all broken up and separated and to stop Fulang from reincarnating or reconsolidating or anything, whatever Fulang might, might have done if he hadn't done this. So these were those scrolls in his scroll case. Yeah, they, they, they came back because the only surviving member of the Seven Thunders was Soshiro, who came back with Shinsei. And they were the only ones who came back. And Soshiro had the, the Black Scrolls with, with, with them. And that was like the only thing that came back out of the Shadowland. Right. So because it was Shishiro who came back, these scrolls were given to Bayushi to protect, and then Bayushi gave them to Yogo to protect. Because Yogo had the biggest grudge against Fuling, basically. <laughs> it was interesting to me, these scrolls are not all stored in one place. The Scorpion only had one at the Castle of Learning. The rest are disseminated around the Empire. We don't know in New 5R whether... Some of those scrolls are being kept by the Scorpion and some are by the Phoenix, or if they are uh, all kept by the Scorpion, but kind of like in Scorpion places in different parts of the Empire or what. What we do know is that four were previously opened at different times in history. We know that one in New 5R was opened by the Obsidian Flower, um, She's called the Demon Bride of Fulang. She is a woman who was born to a powerful family in the early empire. We don't know whose. She believed that Rokugan's ruling caste was corrupt and wanted to wipe it out completely. So she stole a black scroll from the Yogo, took it to the Shadowlands and opened it. And she waits in the Shadowlands trying to bring about the empire the end of the empire. This is a change from the old lore where the character of the demon bride of Fulang did exist. Um, in that case, it was a woman called Doji Nashiko. She was rejected by the Emerald Champion who she wanted to marry and used evil means to become supernaturally beautiful and seduce her way to revenge. The story has changed from that. That is not the Demon Bride story anymore. In that old lore, she didn't also didn't open a black skull. But I'm really glad that one's gone because that is a really, really sexist story. And it's just, that sucked. So I'm glad it's gone. Different different Demon Bride of Fulang now that makes more sense. Um, we don't know what caused the other three black scrolls to be opened. Uh, that is free space for your role-playing game campaigns that's somewhere in the history of uh, um, history of Rokugan, so go for it. Uh, the other seven, as I said, were are dispersed about the Empire. Uh, rather than in the old lore, some had been stolen by or gambled off to the Phoenix, or otherwise misplaced. But here they could be anywhere. Since there are seven, they could conveniently be one in every clan for all we know. Yeah, any number of situations potentially going on. It's particularly interesting that scrolls can be opened or unsealed without incident. It's not the actual, we go on about the opening of the scrolls, but that's not actually what causes it to do its evil work. 
it actually has to be used. You have to decide what you're going to do with it and then then activate it. Generally, certainly this one has you know instructions essentially. In this <laughs> particular case, this scroll is the skin of Fu Leng, which sounds delightful. <laughs> Uh, it has a skin-like texture, which sounds even more delightful. If you write the name of a person in that scroll with your own blood, the scroll will then reveal that person's most intimate and damning secrets. You know, written the, the writing will come up on the scroll. So it is an interesting change because before, literally just opening it seemed to cause whatever horror that scroll did. But that could simply be like a way of speaking about it. Yeah, they opened the black scroll. And you, can, you kind of don't want to go, they opened the black scroll and then they read it and then they read the instructions and then they made a decision and then they did the thing. It's just quicker to say they opened. So it can't be done accidentally. It can't be done by mistake. Someone has to make the actual decision to you, mm -hmm. which is an interesting change to how a lot of people perceive the black scroll has been used. And I think it makes it stronger from a story point of view because that means that someone actually has some, someone made a choice. Right. I was very glad of that. So uh, we also hear about, uh, because Shoju is thinking about it, uh, the ancestral sword of the scorpion, uh, Itsuwari. Uh, that sword specifically exists to slay the clan champion should he ever betray the empire. Uh, when a scorpion is made champion... The Yoko Daimyo imprints the champion's name on the blade of Itsuwari in shadow ink. And should that sword ever cut the champion, even the tiniest bit, the champion's heart would stop immediately. The scorpion champion never knows which sword version of Itsuwari is a decoy and or who holds the real version of the sword. So he always has an assassin out there somewhere waiting for him to betray the empire. But wherever that assassin is, it's that person's job to kill the champion if they be betray the empire. And it has ink on the blade that shows where the champion is at any given point in time. So you have, when he starts this, he does this knowing that as soon as it becomes public, if he does something horrible, he's got a scorpion whose orders are to kill him no matter what he orders when they show up. Itsuwari, by the way, means lie or falsehood. That kind of is very appropriate. So, yeah, I, I, I do wonder if you're going to get a fiction from some random scorpion who suddenly gets the news and goes, oh, time to assassinate the champion. Of course, because that scorpion could be in your role-playing game party. So, well, yeah, no this is also a, a problem that, that that you get with some of the the justification for the scorpion is no, what we do is for the good of the empire, even if it looks like we're betraying everyone. So you kind of hope that the person who has Itsuwari doesn't fall for that all the time, because otherwise, it's a security measure that doesn't really work. And we also get the interesting revelation from showed you using the scroll because it gets all of Ujiaki's deep dark secrets and it seems that Ujiaki is much much more than an opportunist which is an interesting phrase yep that leads us to our our discussion so we kind of talked about uh, our our lore nuggets 
uh, all, all different things we picked up from this story. But, you know, what did you think about this story? You know, what What is Ujiaki's secret? What do you think? I think the obvious one, the, the one that has been touted and suggested is that he's Kolat, is one of the possibilities. Because he's being... He's doing kind of lots of manipulative behind-the-scenes stuff, which seems more aimed at destabilization than necessarily strengthening the Lion Clan, for example. Uh, the stuff with withdraw, uh, withholding supplies from frontline troops to make them more likely to attack the Unicorn seems rather more like someone who wants the empire destabilized than the, than someone who wants the lion to win because if they just wanted the lion to win if, they, if 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 they wanted the lion to attack the unicorn then he could have just issued orders or or suggested it to Matsutsuko or any number of things but no he is manipulating things so that certain actions get taken rather than ordering them to get taken which sounds a lot more like destabilization than it does wanting the lion to win against the unicorn. So that that seems a possibility. That seems like a good good possibility. And we have hints in various RPG materials that I don't want to quite give away them all, <laughs> but uh, that it might be that. The other thing that is possibility, especially if, um, and, and these are not mutually exclusive, so not at all mutually exclusive. But if the cola are to remain a RPG-only villain, which they kind of are right now, and I think that that is perfectly cool if they do. You know, I like having a villain that's kind of just for the RPG so that you can have people, player groups, interacting with it freely without treading on the other you know it, here's you're saving the world from this thing over here in your storyline and the main storyline is saving the world from this other critical threat um but the other thing that ujiaki's uh, secret could be is that he could be responsible for the death of doji satsume we have reason to believe that doji satsume was murdered at least kwaninger thinks so uh, we have good reason to know it's not Hataru, and we don't think it's Scorpion. At least none of the Scorpion who would know if it was seem to think about it or know about it. Uh, however, Ujiaki is obviously very, very much a um, power-hungry person who at this point believes that, uh, you know, it's time to make his move. If the crane was severely weakened by the tsunami, and he has this really outstanding duelist, even if that duelist wasn't a champion, but just this, like, this really good duelist in Tatori who can definitely hold himself through an Emerald, Emerald Championship tournament, which he obviously did, then it seems like, Great time to remove the old crane emerald champion who's thwarting all your plans and putting your guy in his place, as well as potential other motivations that might be Colot related. Um, so, you know, the timing is good for him to be responsible for that as well. And that would be an equally big, big crime 
given the status of it in this story. Why do you think uh, Shoju opened the scroll? What do you think his goal was? Well, I mean, it's pretty much spelled out that he is trying to get... He has decided that the Shadowlands is the threat that the entire empire should be focused on instead of piddling around with Lion versus Crane and Lion versus Unicorn and deciding who gets to actually be on the throne and all that stuff. And so he is trying to shock everyone into joining against one singular enemy. And he has come to the conclusion that the best way to do that is to be that one true enemy in a very Bayushi, I will be your villain, Hante, kind of way. So that's that's the reasoning, as far as I can tell. How good the reasoning is. And he's willing to sacrifice is. his very soul to do this. How good yeah. the reasoning is, I, I'm not sure. I think things might be beyond the point where that would work the way he hopes it would be. Um, so, though him controlling Ujiaki is probably not the worst move to, to start with that. Not that he's going to use lion troops for it. We don't know what he's going to use Ujiaki for. I didn't get a sense of what he would use it for. But Ujiaki is such a wild card as to his own agenda that he just by himself could mess up the rest of the empire trying to rally around one um, one source. I think that Shouju, if this plan works overall, Shouju is relying on the honor of the other clans, basically. If all clans are being honorable, right, then they are going to get band together to fight the Shadowlands. If all the clans are not being honorable, then, you know, who knows what's what's going to happen, right? Um, so I think I think that that uh, Shoju is relying on that. And Ujiaki has already shown he's willing to be a little uh, not honorable. So controlling that wild card in any event is <laughs> important. Um, I did notice a something to think about, just an just a idea. In the story, we learn um, that which we, what we already knew, that Kunshu has been lost to the Shadowlands. Uh, the Shadowlands hold the Castle of Learning. Kunshu's in the Castle of Learning. Kunshu is in the hands of the Shadowlands. And I just thought to wrap this up, I'd remind everybody that the prophecy on Kunshu is whatever befalls this sword befalls its master. So... <laughs> Just thinking of things coming up, that curse may have gotten a lot worse. It was bad enough as is. It, it, yeah, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. Anyway, that's all we got this, this week. So uh, do you have any call-outs? Uh, well, I was just about to say, if anyone has any thoughts themselves, then we're always available on the Elf Hi-Fi Discord. And you can always find us at courtgamespod.com. And there are forums there for you to discuss and let us know. And as we'll, we'll be telling you about all the places to contact us. So you could let us know what you thought of this fiction. <laughs> no, it's good. Rapid speculation. We'll take it. <laughs> as a call out to our Court Games Network, there's us, the RPG podcast. There is also the Court Games L5R LCG podcast. 
our live from Tokyo podcast called Tokyo of the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife, uh, as well as a call-out to our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Discord community Patreon, which supports our editing costs and our website costs. And our website is where you can find articles, summaries of our podcasts, great RPG tools, our forums, and much more. For our patrons, we've got special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more. Online, you can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.